one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, friends. Have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships. My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one -on -one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I'm really excited for you all to meet and hear from my friend Jerry Yu, who is another physical therapist, another entrepreneur, and surprisingly is around my age. When I met Jerry, I thought he was 20 years younger. He has this amazing vitality and energy about him. And it really comes across in everything he does. So you're going to hear from him about his path into PT and how we both chose a different path in PT and, and don't work in a more traditional setting like a clinic or a hospital, but work for ourselves. So we talk about that journey and where we see there's some gaps in physical therapy and how he has worked really hard to also bridge that gap with his work at Next Level Physio, which is a series of clinics that he started, and it's taking a different approach to PT. So listen, and I'd love to hear your feedback about any times you've had physical therapy, if it worked well for you or not, and make sure that you share this with others, and please rate, review, and subscribe. Here's my conversation with Jerry. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have a dear friend, a relatively new friend, and another physical therapist who is actually sitting with me, which is such yes. a treat <laughs> to actually have an in-person podcast. So welcome, Jerry. This is Jerry Yu. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show, Laura. 
Yeah, Jerry had me in his podcast um, a couple of months ago. It was so fun. And yeah. so I'm equally excited to have you and hear more about you because I talked a lot about myself there. <laughs> uh, so let's start off. Since we're both PTs, I always yeah. like to know, like, how did your story begin with physical therapy? Like, how did you become interested yeah. and what was your path? So uh, it's it's a very interesting story. I was actually like many of our colleagues who were uh, interested in medicine. I wanted to become a neurosurgeon at the time. Me too. Did you really? Yes. Get out of here. It's so yes. funny. Yes. Yes. I actually yeah. answered that in a question when I was a senior. Oh, what I do know. you want to be a neuro? Like I'm like I have proof. I have video <laughs> proof. I said that neurosurgeon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I measured in uh, at the time it was biopsychology, which was at Vassar the only equivalent to like a neuroscience kind of thing. I was like all in. And then by senior year, I was kind of thinking, I'm not sure if I want to do this anymore. It's a long road ahead. And I happened to um, find out about physical therapy. And I was like, well, what is that? I didn't really know. And so I couldn't put it in the back of my mind. Uh, I was actually set on going to Boston for a PhD program in anatomy physiology. So I was, you know, I was ready to go. And then it's funny how life kind of takes you through different turns. Uh, I ended up in California, long story short. And I just saw a job for a physical therapist, uh, and I was like, well, let me just see what that's about, and I just fell in love with it. And I think what appealed to me most about it was I was working with these uh, very high-level PTs at the time who had a great reputation in town for being able to help people not have to go through surgery. My first mentor, uh, Gail, uh, she was like the PT for beach volleyball. Like, So I met all these cool guys, like, oh my god, this is so cool. And then my other mentor, uh, David, he uh, was in uh, Santa Monica, and uh, David was like the spine guy for PT. So I, he really took me under his wing, gilded as well. I learned so much about the field that was amazing. And for me, being somebody who was very interested in health and wellness and being able to tie that fitness background into something that was actually going to help people medically as well was really, really appealing. I love that, and I think that those mentors are so important to really – um, give credit to because they really can they because we you know I did what like we did I I went into a PT clinic and first volunteered and then worked as an aide and you get to see what what their life is like how they're treating clients how they're progressing clients and and kind of what their ethos is and I think that um, if you are with a, a really a special person. It, you want to do that because you see like they're lit up about it. They're excited about it. And that's how this field should be. And we'll get into like how that might have changed a little bit. But I, I totally agree. I think I'm lucky, too, that I had some really amazing mentors. And I thought, I want to do what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because of that that, that my path towards physical therapy was carved. And so I gave up my uh, dream to go to BU for that. And I instead applied to physical therapy programs. Uh, Ended up at Columbia, so I went from the West Coast back to the East Coast and um, went to school there. And I think what was really cool, uh, I also have a background in massage. I learned shiatsu while I was out there just because I was really interested in, Cal in California, and that's the California thing to do. And by the way, that was my first exposure to yoga, and it was very humbling. We talked about Ashtanga before. Yes. Very, very humbling. So I uh, got into that, and what I found in graduate school was that um, my hands-on skills were definitely... I'd say more advanced, just because I had so many years of actually using that. And I think that helped me to become a really good manual therapist at the time. So that was the sort of pathway I was on. Um, I then from there, from uh, working at um, sort of a, in the school setting, I was actually in with working with kids with disabilities, which expanded my repertoire of who I wanted to treat. And then I ended up actually working in orthopedics afterwards for a number of years before opening up my own practice. 
Wow. First of all, you're smart. <laughs> I always <laughs> love you. I, I mean, I, I just think that, uh, and I think that's, you don't have to go to one of the top schools, mm-hmm. whether it's college or yeah. grad school. But I do think that um, going to schools that have such um, strong foundations give yeah. you strong foundations. Absolutely. And then you get out into the world. And I think, you know, one thing that PTs, I mean, it was really drilled into my head, PTs are meant to be critical thinkers. Yes. And I feel like when you have a lot of knowledge, both academic and and experiential, and then also tools like you had with manual, it just, it, um, it feeds that curiosity. Yeah. So you were, and I know that that's true, you know, true for you. So Mm -hmm. how long were you practicing before you saw some, um, maybe disappointment in that ability to be a critical thinker or not being able to fulfill this desire to really look at the whole body, look at the whole system and, Uh, and treat clients that way. I'm so glad you brought that up, Laura. So it's like, um, I'd, I'd worked for a number of years in a facility and then I actually opened a practice with a partner at the time early in the two thousands. And what happened there, I think just this drive to want to run a business really sort of took precedence over, uh, and I still give great care, don't get me wrong, but I think being able to really take a pic, like a look at the whole person didn't really come until I'd say much later in my practice, just because it wasn't what I was wanting anymore. It's like, hey, I, I do believe that, you know, we can give a great service, but if it's at the expense of seeing five patients an hour, I don't think I'm into that anymore. So later on, after I left my partnership, I went and opened up my own practice and uh, with Next Level Physio, we were like, we just want to do things a little differently. And so from that began my journey of like almost reigniting my passion for wanting to look at the human system as, as a whole and treating people as a, 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 from a whole person approach rather than just a symptomatic basic care, uh, short-term relief kind of thing, which is very apparent in a lot of the in-network clinics. Yeah, so let's just differentiate between these two things for people who might not know. So yeah. one was... You owned a clinic, and therefore you were at the mercy of getting reimbursed by insurances Correct. to make sure your clinic could run. Yep. Therefore, you needed your PTs, including yourself if you yeah. were working, to see a certain number of people so you could get that reimbursement right. to be able to run the business. Exactly. And then you tried another business model, which yeah. is I'm not going to be beholden to insurances so that I then don't have to see so many people and I can actually really treat them. Absolutely. I can actually um, take care of them. And I think this is a big gap. And yes. unfortunate. And it's so unfortunate is yeah. we were talking about this earlier. Like a lot of us pay insurance. A lot of us pay thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. And then we go and something does happen and mm-hmm. say we're otherwise healthy and we got to go to the PT. Um, and then we're. it's like, okay, you're going to get eight sessions. They're going to be paid for fully. And that's all you're going to get. And then after that, you have to pay 50% or whatever it is. Exactly. And that might be a pretty good insurance plan, by the way. As we know, there's... (laughs) And so, but for eight sessions, if you're going to one, look like the clinic you were running before, you're coming in and because the person who owns it has to keep it functioning, you're going to be one of five people that that PT is seeing in an hour, which means you might be lucky enough to get 10 to 15 minutes of one-on-one private. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. For sure. And so this is where the problem lies. And I remember when I was in a clinical setting, this was just starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And I 
you know, I'm so glad I got out before it really <laughs> became a problem because right. I know I was working with people who needed, I couldn't just leave them doing like, you know, quad set <laughs> right, because they were neurologically involved. Yeah, and so exactly. it's like they needed hands-on. They needed an hour of yeah. me being with them, doing a variety of things. And I, it just, it's painful as people who want to help people yeah. who have been trained, who have been like put in a lot of years to then be subjugated to saying, you can only really do one-on-one -on -one care for 10 minutes. That's exactly. all you're going to be able to handle. And meanwhile, you're going to be panting yes. because you're running around. <laughs> so hopefully you're, you're going to have the clarity of mind to yeah. be really efficient in those yes. 10 minutes. It is not a system that's set up for success no. for either the patient or the PT. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because now you have all these uh, private equity companies who've come to the picture, and obviously they are bottom line driven. And so they are also pushing for these bigger corporate mill practices to push the envelope and keep seeing more patients per hour because they have to make their gains on this as well. And so now you have this very uh, watered-down version of PT, and unfortunately, uh, that has actually been at the price of our professional credibility at times, where people are like, oh, PT, so like a little rubdown, uh, a little hot pack, uh, a little ultrasound gel, and then some cookie cutter exercises from the sheet from the 1970s that's probably still in the same file cabinet. And so you have this, uh, now you have this dichotomy of that type of PT. And I'd say we have our other types of PT where we're more cash-based at a network. And yes, we are not the cheapest game in town, but I can guarantee you that our results and outcomes are way better than, you know, XYZ PT down the street that's seeing five patients an hour. Well, and the fact that you've done both, mm -hmm. I think you're probably, a, <laughs> you can say, um, <laughs> yes. and, and by the way, getting off, you know, going and doing it on your own, yeah. you're doing that because you have the love for the field, yeah. not the love for the money per se, <laughs> right? Because we right. both know that that's, there's a big risk involved. Yes. And I think it's important for us to really talk about, for people, everybody listening who, um, number one, might have had a not a great experience in PT and doesn't have... Uh, doesn't value it, I, we totally understand. Like, yeah. And that's too bad because people who are going into this field, I think every single one of them is going into it because they they want to help people. For sure. Um, number two, they've also spent a lot of time. This is not an easy field. It is hard. Getting into school is hard. Yeah. Being in school is challenging. Yes. And so getting out and doing something that honestly my 17-year-old could probably instruct you in is, is um, it's, uh, you know, it's dehumanizing it in really a way, is. right? Yeah. Like here After we have done that. all this stuff and yeah. we're like, oh, it's just something yeah. that somebody could just teach you. And absolutely because I can't teach you well if I can't, don't have the time to do it. Exactly. So um, anyway, all that is to say, we are really building up for this, not to knock PTs or the system, but to really be open that this is this this is the situation in the United States right now. Absolutely. I know it's not that um, you know we have international people who listen. This is not necessarily what you guys experience, but we experience it here. And like you mentioned, these bigger corporations, imagine, you know, we see this all the time, like there's a drink, you know, that everybody loves and then Pepsi comes in and buys <laughs> it and they yeah. now are owning it. So this is what is happening. And so we don't we're getting less individualized care and yeah. um the play, this is where we as individuals have a choice. Yes. And that might be that you need to pay more Absolutely. because your care, your care deserves it. So 
Can you explain a little bit between what you do and what traditional PT, how you used to do it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I would say I was probably in that same camp uh, earlier on in my career where it was like spot management, if you will, uh, spot treatment. So, um, you know, hey, come on in. Let's put the hot pack on, make you feel relaxed, uh, do some hands-on stuff that we thought was going to be effective. And usually we help people, I'd say, more than 80% of the time. But for the people who really needed that extra attention, that other 20%, 25%, it was really hard to give that kind of care. And it was very frustrating for me. We're like, I just need a little bit more time with you. Not because of any other reason where I just need to really think about your case a little bit more, because there's something that's part of the picture that we're not, that's being missed by everyone else outside. And uh, thankfully, even as busy as I was, I'd, you know, being dedicated as I was as a, as a PT, you know, that's the kind of stuff that will keep me up at night, right? Oh, my God, you know what, Mr. Smith coming in with this thing, and what could it be? That kind of thing. And I think being conscientious, even despite the busyness, kind of raised level of frustration where it's like, oh, I want to help them, but I, it's, I don't, I'm time constrained. I can't. Or they're visit constrained because their insurance company only pays this much, and we can only see them for this many visits, like you said before. And so from that frustration, I was like, I, this is not sustainable as a model. And I think for me, moving on, was part of it was actually, I just need to get out of this model and do something that's a little bit different. And so I'd say the first year or two transitioning out of it, it was like, it was a little bit challenging as far as like being able to convince people that, you don't, you know, you can pay cash, it's okay. Um, and I've gotten since then much better at selling our value per se and not being sleazy about it, saying, this is how we can help you, take it or leave it. You know, it's you're, you're the person suffering and we'd love to help you out. And this is why we spend the time with you. This is why we problem solve together, why we want to get into your life and why we look at every, every aspect of your life from how you sleep, what you're consuming, your hydration, your stress level, your emotional state, all these kinds of things. And how that kind of plays into the bigger picture of why you may be feeling this right now. And then tying that into, well, what is it that really is driving you to come here and how can we get you back to that thing? whatever that thing might be. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. And I think as you're talking, I'm thinking like, I think the confusion for people is that this is a medical uh, service. Yeah. And if they thought about it separately, like personal training, yeah. right? They, they're not getting insurance for personal training. No. And yet this is like, this is personal training with the added benefit that we have a license for physical therapy. So yeah. we're actually adding on the layer of real care. Yes. Unfortunately, insurance is doesn't pay for the personal trainer, so therefore they're not going to pay for that kind of added um, benefit of, yeah. you know, looking at the entire, again, mm -hmm. the entire system. Right. And I, I think for everybody listening, let's give an example. And, and I, you're going to talk a lot more about this because this is one of your specializations. Sure. But I'm thinking of a client I had who, and I've had several like this, mm -hmm. who come in with Achilles tendonitis and has been to PT, run out of PT visits, yeah. still having pain, so eager to get back to running. Yeah. And is like, Laura, will you work with me? Because I did PT, it, it helps a little bit, yeah. but I'm still not able to run. Right. And I went through like, what did you do? And it was the same thing. It was like some ultrasound there, some stretching for the calf, blah, blah, blah. Well, what I did is I looked at like, well, how is your ankle moving? How are your toes moving? How's your hip moving? Of course, her hip was not moving well at all, mm -hmm. you know? And so she's overcompensating. So the point is she could make it feel a little bit better by doing like a couple stretches yeah. for the calf, mm -hmm. but we had to like peel it back and look at the entire chain and how she was running. And I said, she said, oh, my PT um, discharged me. I ran out of insurance and said I could start running again, but I'm still in pain. And I'm yeah. like, you can start running again and you will be back here, if not worse. Yeah. So 
you need to change some things overall. So that is, I think, like that to me was such a stark difference. Yeah. And what I was able to do with her in just a few sessions was education yeah. that actually enabled her to get back to running, and now she's running even more mileage. But <laughs> you specialize with runners and triathletes, yeah. so I'm sure you see this all the time. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about um, how you got into that yeah. and how you're looking at it, which I'm sure is somewhat the same way, but even more. Sure. Uh, my, ex- my first exposure to running was probably in high school track. Uh, I was a more sprinter at the time, and then I got into lacrosse, so I left running behind. But in college, I actually got into it just for fitness and wanting to to do that. And it's funny, actually, Laura, because uh, when I got to grad school, I was really into fitness my whole life. But when I got to grad school, I met this guy, I, you know, another student. He was like, I do triathlons. And my only concept of triathlons was Ironman. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Just right. And, you know, these massive races. Like, no, actually, there's levels. Like, there's levels? There's sprint. There's Olympic. I was like, I didn't even know that. So... Me, you know, being who I am, I just felt compelled to, have to, well, I could try it. This guy can do it. Why can't I? Right. Most humbling experience of my life. Oh, yeah. I, it was, it I've was... done one mini triathlon, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, let me just not drown. <laughs> exactly. And for me, there was a, a, a personal note. I actually almost drowned when I was um, in sixth grade, or actually eighth grade it was, in the ocean. Wow. And I, I've, I had this panic sort of like uh, associated with swimming. And my first race was sort of my uh, way to get over it. And after that, it was just I was just in love with the sport. I've uh, continued to race in, in uh, sprints and Olympic distance races. And we have a tri club that's actually associated with our practice too, our uh, next level tri club. That's how we get into it. But what was really fascinating was really working with runners. And there's so much literature at the time, like growing into that was actually emerging from people like Chris Powers um, and, um, oh my God, I can't remember her name. I think it's Janine over at uh, University of Delaware. Uh, about uh, this is about the time when the uh, the Chris McDougall book came out, uh, Born to Run. Born to Run. Oh, oh yeah, my God. yeah. Everybody's Classic. read that. Every, yeah, exactly. every runner's read that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was transformative for my own clinical practice, and I really got into sort of that four foot mid foot strike, and just diving into the research and seeing how much of that proximal chain, everything from top down, how that can influence an Achilles tendon ice, for example, uh, really became very interesting to me, and also helped helped to open my eyes to like. Yeah, it's an Achilles issue, but like you said, there's a lot more going on if it's an Achilles issue. So I really got into um, reviewing gait mechanics, 2D, and then now we have a 3D system down in our carry office in North Carolina. And so that's been really, really fascinating as far as being able to identify which runners are going to have which kinds of problems just based on how they land, on how the running form is, and being able to teach them the right skills because... Here's what we forget. Um, a good friend of mine, Kevin Vandy, would say out in California, running is a skill. No one has been taught how to do it. And so as a result, you just do what you think is, is running. But And that starts at a young age. And the problems that we see 20 years later oftentimes arise from the way that you're running based on how you thought running should be. And so when we make modifications just in how people run based on their gait analysis, uh, there's a lot of benefit not only on how they feel physically, because a lot of them come with knee pain. And I know in your podcast before you mentioned that the knee is just the middle guy. You got to look above and below. So looking at the entire picture of how this person is running, uh, being able to get them back to those things that they want to do just by modifying the running is amazing on one level. But the other thing is having them run faster than they have before. Um, my one uh, favorite testimonial, Chrissy, who was on our YouTube channel, she had run a 310 marathon to qualify for Boston, which is in a feat in and of itself. Yeah. 
she was she qualified for the year after, and she had a, a high hamstring t- uh, issue, which a lot of runners have, a proximal hamstring strain. Three months out, she didn't know what to do. So through word of mouth, she found us, and she found out that we specialize in running uh, in triathletes. Came in, and the first thing we did was film her running. And she was like, nobody's ever done that before. I was like, no one's ever done that before. You're a runner. It's like, yeah, this is like the first thing. And then we got to get shoes, too, and how your wear pattern is and, and identify these things that might be causing you to run the way you are. And although we didn't have our 3D technology then, we were able to identify there are a couple of uh, sort of like gate abnormalities in how she was running her, and her landing mechanics. And so we corrected those, had her do very easy drills to work on those while she was healing. Then we uh, added some of our technology stuff. So we used the blood flow restriction therapy from Owens, which is an amazing device if you want to ever accelerate recovery for any kind of surgery or malady down, down the chain or in the upper extremity as well. And from there... Uh, we got her feeling better. And then she had never done strength work before either. So good thing we're three months out, so we could actually do some stuff to actually have some benefit. So she got much better. And uh, with uh, Harry Pinot, who is our exercise physiologist on our team, we put together a program for her to be able to run the Boston Marathon after missing so many time, so much time training. And she PR'd. Wow. So 310 to a 254. Wow. That Crazy. is some major time yeah. cutting. Wow. And her biggest thing was like, I never, and this is the whole thing with Next Level is like, I don't care that you get back to running a 310. I want you running faster than you ever had before. Mm-hmm. And for her to like have almost like a 15 minute like PR was like mind blowing for all of us. We we're just like, oh my God. It's raging about it. Um, and she probably felt amazing. She did. Right, exactly. She's, right. Oh, here's the thing. She said, I felt like I had more in the tank after I was done. Which is like, that is amazing. That's cr- So yeah. can you briefly explain, because sure. I think it's so fascinating, this idea of like more in the tank, meaning like you're preserving your energy versus yes. dissipating your energy, Yes. right? So running, if someone is running and they feel tired, like it could be cardiovascular yeah. tired, but it could also be that you're just dissipating a lot of energy by yes. because your form isn't great. Exactly. And one of the biggest dissipators of force is that vertical oscillation that people run like a pogo. Yep. You're just wasting energy going up and down versus forward. Yeah. The other part of it is the arm swing. So a lot of people have this sort of like cross body yes. thing. So they're wasting energy in that plane of motion here, not directing them forward. And then they're not utilizing gravity. So if they're not having that sort of like eight to 10 degree lean forward, you're not using your best friend, which is like the easiest way to get free energy, just a slight lean forward. Yes. And just by t- taking a look at these different things, and again, having them build the, the stamina to run differently and the motor patterns to run differently can help these people have the running economy that they need to be able to excel in their sport. So why do you think the proximal hamstring in injury occurs in runners? I think a lot of heel strikers tend to get it. Mm. And so what happens is because of the extended leg yeah. over time, it's not developing those muscles. Also, I think because of that pelvic orientation. So if they already have something going into this running and you're now you're adding distance over time, right. and if the pelvis is not doing what it has to do and the glutes aren't working the way they should, that high hamstring is going to want to try to help out as much Decelerate, as possible. Yeah, Decelerate, as as, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Oh so my now God. you're- Poor yeah. little guy. Because <laughs> um, high, you know, proximal hamstring injuries are common in yoga, but for a different reason. Oh, I didn't know that. That's oh, interesting. Oh, super common. Wow. In fact, Judith Lasseter, who is a PT who studied this, she said that 90% of the injuries are from yoga. No way. Yeah. And that's, wow. um, so because it's, I mean, we could go into, yeah. people have heard me talk about this ad nauseum, but <laughs> it, we, there's a- um, 
lot of forward folding and yes. it's that idea of like you're just going and gravity's yeah. helping you out and then the hamstrings are like whoa nelly oh, what are you wow. doing but because people like move their pelvis back or round posteriorly tilt or anteriorly they're just doing something but they don't have any control of the trunk moving yes. with gravitational oh, forces so it's like over and over and then they're put in like a position there's there's a well, you probably remember in Ashtanga. I mean, there's a lot of forward folds in Ashtanga, but people, so people are going to try and do that in whatever way they can. Yes. And usually the, you know, the ischial tuberosity is at the kind of bow point where it's getting pulled on a lot. But yeah. it's the same idea. There's not, glutes are not usually strong. Sure. They're not controlling the pelvis, yeah. and the poor hamstrings are just trying. <laughs> Absolutely. So I didn't realize that that was common in in running as well. Absolutely, yeah. And especially our elite level runners because they're just going at such a high intensity and velocity that um, they're gonna put a lot more stress on that area. Um, it's funny you mentioned about yoga because um, with the way that pelvic orients, if the glutes can't, or they aren't sufficient to help hold that back for sure, I can see how that can happen. Yeah, and and there's a lot yeah. of weak glutes out there. I was gonna ask. <laughs> as we know, I mean, <laughs> everywhere, not just yogis. Yes. Everybody In is general, probably functionally yeah. not, yeah, like we're sitting Absolutely. on them a lot. They're just yeah. like, mm, I yeah. don't have much to do here, yeah. <laughs> The other thing I was, uh, and I think you mentioned this before in a conversation where um, I think a majority of people who do yoga are females. Mm -hmm. yes. And we know from the research on ACLs that women tend to have a weaker hamstring versus quads, and it's reversed in males. And I kind of wonder if that's also playing into the picture as well. I, I think so. I think it's the carrying angle, the weakness of the yeah. glutes and posterior chain in general, sure. and not stabilizing. And um, yeah, I think there's just a... There, the lateral hips, I yeah. think it's the whole, like everything yeah, around the pelvis definitely. is not as stable. Yeah. So, and I'm sure that they're just not managing yeah. that force. So, <laughs> um, okay. So you, so you, you have lots of runners, so yeah. runners should definitely look up next level physio, but Thank you. you also treat other people as yeah. well. So I think this is something, if I could like scream from the rooftops, um, I would rather you not go out to dinner and go and see somebody like Jerry <laughs> because you deserve to feel your best and what is um, part of, I think, our culture and understanding with insurance and healthcare is all that is you wait until something is wrong. Yeah. But I always say, hey, hopefully you're brushing your teeth every day and hopefully you're going to see the dentist and you're doing all of this preventative maintenance. You have to do this for your body because like you said, we don't get a manual. Yeah. We don't get a manual for how we're supposed to lean over and pick up laundry. We don't get a manual for running. We don't get a manual for going to the gym and then deciding to add load because yeah. we want to build muscle. We might get a, a somebody guiding us who is looking at the whole system, right. but most likely you're not going to get that. That's just the fact. That has to be somebody who is specifically trained to look at all of those things. And so I think going to somebody like Jerry, who is, you have four clinics, yeah. um, to me, uh, this is where I would put spend my money. I was talking beforehand with yeah. you, like I have insurance and I still spend money on going to a functional medicine doctor who is completely out of pocket. Yeah. I don't even like hesitate. And I've recommended her to so many people and 50% of them will say, oh, wow, uh, that's expensive. I didn't know. And I know that they could spend that money. Yeah. But they're choosing not to. That is everyone's choice. I'm not at all saying, you know, you're right and I, I, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. But this is your body, and we have the unfortunate but also knowledgeable experience to, to know, like, people who have had an injury will do anything, will spend any amount of money to not be in that state of pain, yeah. to, not, to not be in that state of uh, dysfunction, disability, because, again, these things can take away your livelihood, they yeah. can impact your lifestyle, et cetera. 
We don't, we don't want to look at the negative. Let's look at the positive. You have it in your hands to do something. Absolutely. So let's talk about the preventative care stuff that you yeah. think if I was somebody coming to you and I'm like, Jerry, I'm in pretty good shape, but I have this kind of nagging pain in my low back. It's not enough for me to go to the doctor, but what can you help me with? Yeah. It's funny you say that we actually, um, as a for everyone out there, uh, <laughs> we have our free total body assessment. And this is actually our our gift to the community. Mm. We don't make any money on this. It's our way of like spreading value for what we do for the profession. And so people will come in, we will talk about the kinds of things that they're going through and do a head to toe quick examination to say, these are the things that we see identified as weak links or problem areas. You know, if you're having this back or shoulder issue, where is it linking from? And then we talk about next steps on how we can actually provide even more value if you go to an evaluation. And just because you don't, I guess that's the, uh, the, the misconception, right? People think that, oh, I go to a physical therapist when I'm in pain. Yes. But a lot of times we're starting to get people, especially in the 30s and 40s, where myself included, where we're starting to notice these little knickknacks here that are, you know, little aches and pains, and we're still wanting to be at the top of our game. So they're wanting to see, well, what else can I do to make sure that I can stay at that top of the game and not be compromised and, and be out of the picture? And in fact, uh, one of our guys we're working with uh, closely, um, he's the, um, uh, the, the owner of a Crush, which is a soccer team up in uh, North Jersey. And one of the things we both uh, gelled on was that he's still trying to crush it like, physically. Like, he's doing CrossFit, he's doing all these great activities, and he was a high-level soccer player back in the day. And he just wants to continue to crush it moving for the next, you know, 30, 40 years. And I'm the same way. So we're like, oh, my God, we're just kind of rallying together on that. And it's like, hey, listen, Yuli, there are a couple of things I notice about the way you're walking. Let's take a couple of pictures so I can show you what that looks like. And we, he was seeing all these different things. He's like, oh, my God, I didn't know I had this issue. It's like, well, that's why you have this Achilles issue for so long. Your body's always leaning forward. So identifying these couple of things and then showing them a couple of tools they can do in them by themselves I mean, that can just be like the, the biggest help right there. And uh, hey, listen, take the tools. If I never see you again, awesome, great. If you happen to need me, because you might need me from based on what I'm seeing, you know where to come. I love that. And yeah. you know, wh another thing you just said is really important. And I think people that listen to me long, long enough know, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we really don't because it's a habit. It's, yeah. a, it's a hardwired thing. We might not know. Like I had somebody here doing a private with me, and every time she lifted her arms, her toes would lift. And I was like, mm -hmm. and I started looking, yeah. and I was like, oh, well, because she knows intellectually, because she's yeah. gone through my training, she shouldn't push her ribs out. Mm -hmm. But she's holding them back. But when she li lifts her arms, that is still there, yeah. that she's lifting that, and, and she's lifting her toes because she kind of leans back. So yeah. I was like, plug your toes down. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh my gosh, I feel that so differently. She would never have known that, right? Like yeah. we all do things we don't know we're doing yeah. because they become so hardwired. So you need a professional to look at it and say, like, do you know when you're walking, this is happening a little bit. I That might be there because that's the way your femur goes, but yeah. it might be that there's something else. So right. let's look at it. And I just think it's so important to, to really spend your money on yourself yeah. for today and the future. Yeah. And if we don't know, even like I'm a professional and I don't know necessarily yeah. what I'm doing all the time, I know a little bit because I follow myself so much and I'm so <laughs> self-aware. Right. Even so, I need like us, you know, eyeballs on me. But this is where we need to spend our money. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest hurdle for people to see the value of like what you're offering? I think the commoditization of our field has made it, has devalued what we do. 
And um, it, it's sad because I feel bad for our colleagues out there who are working, still working in these situations where they're seeing four or five patients an hour. It's not their fault. And it's not the fault of people making the choice to see them because they don't know any better. Like if that's all you know, being PT and it's covered by insurance, um, and maybe you heard that this person was decent because that's other person didn't know any better either. You know, these are the kinds of things where I think the bottleneck becomes where they can't see the value of going to a next level physio or seeing ULAR for anything because they're like, well, if it's more of the same, well, I'm going to pay more for it. Well, why pay more? I, I get it. And I think unless we start changing the perception of what we do, which is what we're trying to do through our social media channels and even through a total body assessment, give you a chance to see what physical therapy could be like, I think that uh, if we have more people doing that uh, and more people exposed to that, which is why we do it for free, like just, I don't even care if you don't see me, just come in so you can see what's the difference is. I think we're going we're to you know, have the same issue over time and time again. At the same time, these corporate mill places have been good for my business because we've had patients go to these traditional practices where it's short-term relief, basic care, very symptom-based, like my Achilles hurts or my elbow hurts. And they come see us and like, wow, you guys really listen to what I have to say. Um, you guys are really trying to think about what's going on with me. And you've asked me these questions about my whole lifestyle, which nobody has spent the time with me. And you filmed me for crying out loud. Right. Like who has that time to like take a look at how I run or how I squat or how I do a snatch, um, all these kinds of things. And because of that, they see the value in that and they say, this is where I need to be. Yeah, I know. I, I, I understand the unfortunate, like they've had something and then they had to compare to. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes that's what people need. Mm -hmm. But um, I just am going to preach it until I can't do it anymore, which <laughs> is that we have to start valuing um, our health. Yeah. And that's in all the ways. And that's why I love what you do is that you're looking at all of it. The yeah. function of your body is is about how you move, but it's also about how you sleep, how you manage stress, how you are feeling about yourself, your yeah. mental health, all of it. And I just think that, um, and I'm sure your background, now that I know <laughs> that you were in neuropsychology, I'm sure yeah. that comes into play because we know how is. much... By the way, the brain and body and <laughs> yes. mental health and physical health are interrelated and they, you cannot pick them apart. They That's were, yeah. absolutely true. Um, and I think just that, I think having been in that pathway to has led me to where I am right now. And even just, you know, um, going back to mental health, uh, just knowing how much of an impact we can have people and having, especially when they have chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, and, and, and for anyone out there who has chronic pain, um, you might have come across different studies showing that one of the best antidotes is movement. And it can be the simplest movement, it can be, and that can be developed in something complex, but when you move, you will start feeling better. It's, uh, it's natural to feel afraid to move because you're afraid of getting hurt, and maybe you've tried things that have injured you before and you don't wanna do that, but if you have a graded exposure to those things with the guidance of a professional or a coach who really has a good understanding of what you're going through, um, you're gonna have a much better pathway to getting better rather than avoiding things, having that fear avoidant behavior, which only keeps you paralyzed, quote unquote, and um, not enjoying life, which feeds the cycle of mental health being less and then feeds your physical body feeling less um, optimized. Yeah, and the stress response. I oh, mean, you, you just increase your stress by, Absolutely. I mean, movement is, is something that's actually gonna help you manage that. Yeah. But I love that you brought up chronic pain because I've had more chronic pain clients in the past year than I think I had in like the previous That's 10 years. Yeah. And so I was, I do a lot based on my own experience and intuition, but I'm also always looking up research and stuff. And it's shocking how little is out there in terms of 
or how confused, like how little there is that is really decipherable, I think, by the layperson. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, first of all, can you just define what you think of as chronic pain? Yeah. And then what should people, um, like besides moving, like I can think of the things I've told my people to not necessarily do Mm -hmm. um, because it's, again, a short-term fix. But what, what are some suggestions beyond like moving? Like what are some ways that people can start to feel better about yeah. treating their chronic pain. Absolutely. I think the first step is actually being willing to mm-hmm. and um, actually finding people, finding professionals who understand that chronic pain is it's a long-term process. It's not going to happen overnight. So for you to get to a point where you're in chronic pain, which is usually after that first two months or so after an injury, if it's not getting much better, you're already in that chronic phase of uh, that injury or whatever it might be. And that can lead to more kinds of pain because now you become hyper aware to those symptoms. And as a result, now you move even less. So I think the first thing identifying being, having willingness, willingness to get better. Second thing is finding the right professional to help you out there. And then three, identifying the things in your life that are making you feel that way as well. Because there's a lot of emotional mental factors that we talked about before. Uh, there's a lot of habits that we get involved in, whether it's the substances that we take, whether it's the, the sleep patterns that we have. If you're a poor sleeper, what's your sleep hygiene like? If you're not getting sleep, your body cannot recover. It's impossible. So these are all things that we ask in our questionnaire just because we want to find out, like, what is really the root cause of why you're still in pain? And then understanding that when you do start to move and address this, it ain't going to feel that good for a while. And we know that because your brain's like, oh, man, you know, your brain's on hyper alert now. There's that big sort of like sensory map that's occurred over time. And in order to reduce that map in the brain of that pain pattern, we have to actually extinguish it by doing things that don't feel that great. Yeah. And I think in a way, chronic pain should almost be looked like as more of a brain thing yeah. than a body thing. Yeah. And the what I was kind of alluding to, and, and this is again, not to dismiss some use of this, but what I have seen in the people that have chronic pain, um, and I was thinking more chronic regional pain, but I've yes. seen a lot of people oh, with yeah, chronic, yes. chronic pain, yes. like two months, I've seen tons of those. Yeah. No matter what version, um, having somebody give you a shot for it is treating the body. It's not treating the brain. Yes, you're absolutely right. Okay, so um, again, I don't want to, if somebody's like, well, it was the only way I could function getting this shot, that's fine. But you then also have, that's not, that's just like helping you, like, you know, it's a a Band-Aid, it's a bridge. and. The people that I saw, especially in this past year, but I've seen them a lot in you know general body chronic pain, have tried all that, have gone and they're like, oh, you know, I'm on my last cortisone shot, should I not have yeah. it? And I'm like, oh, oh like no. there's a reason there's a certain number. Yeah. Um, and if they if somebody isn't educating you about all these other things, yeah. And with chronic pain, again, it is the brain has kind of been overloaded yes. in its opinions that you shouldn't be doing something. I like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I think in some ways, um, if you're experiencing pain, don't f- don't have like it's so hard not to have like a really negative and hateful yeah. feeling toward that body part. And it's often not that body part. Exactly. It's just some other faulty wiring. And that's why you do need to go to a professional who's looking at the whole system. Yeah. Like again, how you're handling stress, how you, sometimes you can, I've worked with people who can almost pinpoint when the pain started and w- there was a stress event in their life, like two weeks before that. And it's just Absolutely. like, we don't know for certain that mm-hmm. they, but it's just so 
you know, it's so suspect that it had something to do with this higher level of stress and their, you know, some way their body was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to tension and I'm going to express it as pain, but it's really the stress. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you mentioned medic- the injections and obviously everyone's heard about the opioid issue and, you know, we're, we try to do things naturally and we try to get people eventually off of those things because now they're feeling comfortable moving because they're more secure in the fact that they can get better and more confident. And that goes a long way as well. Like, oh, I don't know if I can do this because of whatever happened, whether it be an accident, trauma, what have you, injury. And once they see that they can, that already teaches the brain that, hey, I can do this. Um, I can't do it the way I want to do it fully yet, but I'm on my way to get to that point. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention as far as like uh, the people with uh, chronic pain, uh, just having the, um, the, the social support, that's really huge too. And we find that the patients who are in a lot of pain don't necessarily have that support. So it kind of goes along with what you were saying before about um, how uh, different kinds of people, uh, depending on how they deal with and address the pain, they may actually have sort of like an emotional event associated with that particular pain. Um, if you don't have the social support around you to deal with that correctly, that might be something lingering for a while. And then it becomes like this... Um entity that you live with like oh "Oh, i can't do that because of my low back pain i can't you know and then so you're limiting not only your movement experience but like you said maybe your social experience yes so you have you create this barrier and it becomes it grows you're like feeding the beast Mm -hmm. and um it's it's so i guess what we're trying to say is this is all natural but it's not normal yeah it's not it's something that you can do something about yeah because i have had and i'm i my next question is this. I've had people who are like, yeah, sure, you're in great shape. It's easy for you to say. I can barely, you know, and there's like, um, they're angry. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, pain makes anybody angry. Yeah. And pain for long periods of time makes you feel angry. It makes you feel hopeless. Yeah. And then you really feel like you're in this camp, like, well, you, you know, saying to me, like, you couldn't possibly understand yeah. because you're healthy and you're all this. How do you address that with someone? Uh, I'm so glad you said that. And and on different levels, I'll, I'll address it. For uh, I used to be really overweight, too. I so can't pe- imagine. I <laughs> you guys can't see him, but he's like so trim and young. And I almost like I almost kicked him when he told me he was like close to my age. I thought he was like 20 years younger. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I first share that story with people who um, either have weight issues. They're like, there's no way. It's like, no, I, I get it. And for me at the time, there's a lot of emotion leading with that, a lot of stress eating. And it was a way I could cope with certain things going on in my life at the time. But uh, I still pushed forward to be able to get to the point where I am right now. And it takes a lot of discipline. And, of course, there's still times when I'm like, oh, I just want to binge. But really, I just try to keep that under control with the activities that I do in my life and having the discipline of wanting to do that. That took a lot of time to get to. Um, the other part of it is I've had my share of injuries as well. So uh, when you can empathize with somebody and say, listen, I had an issue. I had an Achilles issue. I had it. My shoulder did pop out when I was... Uh, younger. And that kind of gives that sort of like, oh, wow. So you, you're not just, oh, you, you know, you're doing all these things, but you really understand. It's like, I get it. And I, I can say, like, I get your frustration. You know, if, you, Laura, if, Laura, if you're in yeah, front of me as a patient, yeah. it's like, listen, I totally get it. The mental frustration, because for me, exercise is a way to deal with stress. It also helps me to just kind of keep my nerves where I need to be because of my busy schedule as a business owner and having these other outlets for myself. So I do understand that when you're not able to perform at your best, it can really extend you on a downward spiral. And just by having that starting point with the client, they're like, wow, this is so he he gets me. And actually, all of our team members have had their fair share of injuries. So 
we all start at that level. This is where we're going to build trust with you. We get you. Our, our goal is to get you back to where you can get to a level that's way beyond what you can get to. And we want to be a part of that process with you because we want to see you succeed. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Um, so I had a thought and then it just left me. But it was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I was listening to him. And I'm like, wait, I got to pin that. Um, I'll come back to it. It'll come because yeah. it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I guess what I was thinking is um, if you have someone who is in there, in pain, not necessarily convinced and kind of thinks that this is, you know, their genetics, their mom had this, their dad had this, this is, you know, I'm never going to be able to lose the way, you know, it, there's a lot that goes yeah. into, oh, I know what my question is. Mm -hmm. Let me ask, let me ask that real quick. Okay. <laughs> my question is this, because you said something about movement yeah. and you'll sometimes hear, and I have to say it's often from non-professionals and there is truth in it, but I want to know what you think when people say all movement is good. There's no bad movement. I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve. Uh, it depends if you've trained for that particular movement for that goal. For example, if someone wants, hey, I'm going to go lift this, you know, kind of ridiculously heavy object and hasn't had the training or the coaching to get it, I would probably say don't do that yet. Don't just watch a video and try to emulate that. It's, you're gonna, it's not going to end very well for you. Um, is that going to be useful for what you have to do? That was also the other question I'm going to ask. And then is that going to help you achieve the goal that you want to do? If I ask those criteria and they can check off those boxes, I say, okay, then go for it, try it. If they're, you know, and it's also re with respect to like, hey, do they have any limitations right now that might not work out for them very well if they don't address those first? And so it's maybe like, hey, that's a great thing and movement's great for whatever you want to do, but maybe it's no, not yet versus like, let's just do this right now and try to do whatever it is. And there's so many people, like the Weekend Warriors, for example. Uh, we have a lot of those and um, unfortunately, often have very traumatic kinds of injuries. We, we, we frequently see, especially guys out there over 30 or 40, I hate to tell you this, but you're not 18 anymore right. and you need to warm up. Uh, you need, yeah. oh, my, oh my God. It's so by far the most common me, thing. Yeah. It's crazy. We have a guy who just came in yesterday. Same thing. He was just playing, you know, as a weekend warrior, just picked up some basketball, which is typical where we see it went up and he just felt it right away. So it's a very common thing, but Hey, you know, again, it's like all moving, moving can be good. Most of the time, depending on what your goal is and what you want to get to just making sure you have the right foundation to move well on. So you don't get hurt. I love that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And because every I want people to move. Yeah. And movement, um, it, we're, most people aren't getting enough movement. But the next layer is most people are moving in the ways they've moved. Yeah. And that's habit. And sometimes then starting new movement experiences that they're not prepared for, to your point, yeah. um, they don't know what they're you know, it's, again, of. like you said, yeah. we're not even given a manual for walking, much less for like <laughs> lifting heavy weights and, exactly. and rotating and all yeah. this stuff. So I guess my point is when you hear that, don't use that like as a flat excuse, like you never need education. For me, I I have a lot of knowledge about movement and I have a lot more to know. Likewise. So I, I'm always looking at like, I want to know more about how to move better. Yeah. I'm not assuming that I've got it because I know how to hip, you know, hip hinge well, yeah. right? So I think it is... Yes, any movement, like we do want to move because if versus not moving. Yes. But that's sure. kind of a low bar, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, move right. versus not move. <laughs> right. But if you want to move in a way that is going to be sustainable and joyful and 
then layer onto that, you know, endurance and power and all that. You do need education yeah. because most people, most of us don't have it. Like Absolutely. I couldn't go into a gym, even though I'm well-educated and try and pick up a barbell and then throw it over my head like they do in a snatch, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I want a, 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 you know, a good trainer like you yeah. to show me how to do it. And then yeah. I can translate it probably faster than maybe somebody else because I understand my body well. Right. But a lot of people don't even understand their bodies well. No, they don't. So I'd love to then go into kind of like winterizing the body and preparing the body for any season by maybe understanding your body more. Mm-hmm. And that could be like understanding from from like the brain, proprioception. Sure. Yeah. Um, understanding body mechanics, understanding mm-hmm. like load and all those things. So how can someone who's in relatively good shape, who's mm-hmm. listening, kind of prepare their body for any season? And I, and I mean that literally, metaphorically, <laughs> I mean yeah. like aging, all yeah. of it. Um, I think just knowing where you're at physically first is the biggest thing. And maybe you are in good shape, but maybe you've had a history of injuries or other kinds of things that have limited you in the past. And being aware of those things before you jump into anything in particular. Uh, the other thing is uh, understanding that, and again, I'm in the same boat, you know, if you're over 40, uh, I, I feel you out there, especially if you're still trying to crush it. Um, I have found that when I take classes, if there's a warm up, I need to go 10 minutes before that warm up, almost like a pre warm up, and do my own thing so I know where my limitations are, then join in a group workout or a group warm up, and then I'm ready to go. Uh, so knowing that, listen, as you get older and the more intense the activity, especially if you're crossfitters out there, um, or if you're high intensity runners, just knowing that you just need a little more time and be forgiving to your body to be able to do those things at, at a high intensity by doing the proper warm up before you go. And there's lots of ways that you can warm up, whether it's being, uh, whether it's doing uh, a couple uh, sort of sets up at a lighter weight of the exercise or the wad for the day for a crossfitter. Um, if you know you're going to have a, a, a track workout if you're a runner out there or um, a hard a FTP on the bike, just knowing that before you go with just easing into that particular intense uh, activity is going to be a good way to quote unquote winterize yourself for the entire year, if you will, and as you get older. Mm, I love that. And, and for those of us who are not like crossfitters or anything, um, how do you suggest people coming into, and I know January is always like a big time to start new things, but almost approaching like any day can be a January. Any time can be like, I'm starting like my, my, my progress. Um, do you have in it at, at, um, at your facilities or in your newsletters or anything, or in this check-in that you do kind of almost a a program for people who are starting off who don't have necessarily injury, but want to improve their overall movement and and kind of prehab, winterize their body for you know life. Absolutely, yeah. And that actually those are the fun clients to work with because they don't have anything restricting them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, listen, I'm so glad you came in. Tell me about your activity level. Tell me how about your age. Tell me about your injury or your past medical history. Uh, tell me about your uh, daily life, all these kinds of things, your lifestyle, so that we can actually then gear a plan towards, like, listen, based on what we're seeing in this assessment, these are things you can work on right now. And this is going to help keep you protected for the duration of, you know, as long as you want to keep crushing it. Um, so I think that's the, the the main thing we try to do with those people. Uh, and it's not a set program per se because it's so individual on the person who is coming in. And it becomes like a weekly or monthly wellness check-in. Like, hey, come on in. Just like you go to your primary care or to the dentist, uh, it's the same kind of thing with physio. It's uh, let's just make sure that you're still moving the right way. And we'll take a, a top-down quick screen. It just takes us a few minutes to see that, hey, you're, you're still moving great. 
keep doing what you're doing. Do you want any? Do you have any? Do you need any advice on what you're doing next so that we can guide you so you're not going to do the wrong things? You know, basically help people stay ahead of the game. I love that. I feel like everybody needs this. Yeah, everybody needs it. <laughs> All right, so we could talk forever, but why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, how they can work with you, your website, your programs, your podcast, et cetera. Oh, thank you. Um, our podcast, and thank you so much for coming on ours, is uh, Beyond Physio. Uh, we have a YouTube channel also called Next Level Physio, which is our practice name. We have locations in, if you're in New Jersey, uh, in Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, which is in Bergen County. We also have a new office in Montclair um, under ADAPT, powered by Next Level Physio. And then down in North Carolina, if you happen to be hollering from the south, uh, we have an office in Cary, which is close to Raleigh. And we have an office uh, that we're actually opening up this spring in Morrisville. Uh, and that Morrisville actually is, uh, is a great spot because uh, that's where we see a lot of our traffic because we have a pool in there. So if you're somebody struggling with swimming form or if you um, are needing uh, a swim analysis, um, my, uh, our, our head PT there, our uh, director of um, the clinic there is uh, John Mendenhall. And he'd be happy to take a look at what's going on. That's also where we have uh, in Cary Morrisville our uh, 3D running analysis. So if you are looking for a, a way to get faster uh, before the next running season this spring, and this is probably the best time to do it because this is when people are lowering their volume, uh, it's a good uh, time to get that checked out before you start ramping up your miles again for the new year. Um, our let's see our Instagram uh, Next Level Physio PT. Uh, mine is at TryJerryDPT. And uh, email info at n, as in Nancy, l, physio.com. I love it. We'll have all that in the show notes as well. But um, really, you're brilliant. And, I, and I've and i just so enjoyed getting to know you. And, you know, again, we, we are pro-PT. We're, we really want this, our industry, to thrive and not just survive, which is kind of what it's doing right now. And it's to no fault of its own, but more um, the way the system has formed it. But one way that you as, um, you know, consumers in physical therapy and customers and clients and uh, can help is really search out people like Jerry who are who are aspiring to do much more than a 15 minute allotment to help you. Because, you know, when you really pay for something, um, especially this kind of health care, you're going to get a lot more um, bang for your buck here. So I can't recommend it enough. Thank you very much for having me on the show. You're welcome. And for everybody listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.